sun comes up I'm driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have the white line fever to the day that I died I said 18 wheels rolling on the road It is my life 18 wheels rolling on the road It is my life I gotta see I gotta look around I got diesel smoke rolling From two chrome stacks My address is 408-414 A big blue Mac Now it don't matter where I'm going I just gotta drive I have that white line fever to the day that I die I said hey got another great program for you and uh, it's gonna be good but we'd like to get in the cab with you yeah we like to ride along for a little bit let's ride along i like riding in big trucks <laughs> they, they go and bend in the middle driver you let me blow that air horn once or twice just <laughs> give me something to do <laughs> yeah we're gonna have fun today and we that's what we want to do we just want to have fun with you drivers out there we enjoy what we're doing and we hope that you're enjoying our programs hey, hey if you are, would you give us a call? And my number is 618-383-2107. Can't remember the number? Lonesomeroad.org or channel21ministries.com. And you can get on our website and get our numbers again. Call Gary. He'll send you some free CDs. Or he'll send you Lonesome Road Volume 1 and Volume 2. The driver, put that thing in gear and let's rock and roll. Here we go. This is uh, our good friend Bill Shell, and what a singer-songwriter he is. He has a studio down in southern Illinois, and he would love to work with you. I know a lot of you drivers out there are songwriters because you got a lot of time to think and that's, write songs. And write songs, yeah. And so I want to give you Bill Shell's phone number. And even if you don't want to write a song, you can call and order some of his CDs. That's right. Yeah, his cell phone number. I'll give you Bill's cell phone number. Don't tell him where you got it. It's 618-518-0319. Tell him you got it from Joe R. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Listen to this song by Bill Shell, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He's written thousands of songs. One of the best songwriters you'll ever find. And he's a friend of ours. Ain't he, Darrell? Yes, he is. He's a good guy. All right. Here's Bill Shell. Things he 
program there's somebody on here listening that this message is for them that God is going to open up a door and speak to you today listen to what Terry has to say what an awesome God that not only he serves but we all serve this message here is for everybody out there and God is getting ready to speak to your heart here's our good friend Terry Hawkins this has been a wonderful day for me Started off out at Ebenezer Baptist this morning and uh, baptized my eight-year-old grandson. And what an absolute blessing that was. And then I got to go to a softball game this afternoon. I'm preaching tonight. Uh, the title of my message would be The Call. And my daughter Christina and Madison, they played this afternoon and they won. But if you ask Christina about how her daddy acts at home, she'd tell you that I, I act pretty good. I pray, I read, I, I try to keep control. But if you've ever been to a ball game with me, I, it is hard for me uh, to keep control. Uh, I always argue, I always have. And this year, they made us sign a piece of paper 
that says that we can't talk to the umpires like that. And I signed it. So I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I'm sitting here about to bust. That's my little girl. She's pitching and he's blind. So I finally figured out how to do it. The Bible says when you're nice to them, it's like heaping coals of fire on their head. So I said, Mr. Blue, Mr. Blue, I'm praying for you. <laughs> and it works. In Isaiah 1:18, Old Testament gospel invitation. Come now, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now here in the Old Testament, a beautiful gospel invitation. But let's read what Paul said the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. And the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, one born out of due time. Now, here it is, the gospel, as simple as it is. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Now, I wasn't there 2,000 years ago when he rose out of that tomb, but I was there July the 18th, 1982, when he resurrected in this old drunk, this old sinner. But you can give the gospel a thousand different ways. There's an evangelist, Bobby Grubbs. I don't know if you ever heard him. He was out of Alabama. His greatest message was titled The Crimson Tide. And it wasn't about an Alabama football team. It was about the blood of Jesus Christ. And I heard Bobby preaching, and Bobby said, you know, he said, he said, I was pastoring a little church up in North Carolina. And he said, I preached that morning, said, came home. And he said, well, my wife, like I always said, she just had everything cooked, everything ready. Now, Bobby Grubbs was almost seven feet tall, weighed over 400 pounds. Bobby was a big boy. And Bobby said he remembered several particular things about that day. But one thing he remembered was, said, when they were eating lunch, he said, asked his wife, said, pass me that plate of biscuits one more time. She said, Bobby Grubbs, if you eat one more biscuit, you don't explode. He said, well, darling, hand me a biscuit and get behind the door. <laughs> and he said he ate, said he went out, sat on the porch, and said he was sitting there and said he was digesting his food and sunning, and said he looked down and he saw a spider web, and said he saw a spider, big old ugly spider, and said then in a little while here come a little lizard, and said that lizard crawled around, crawled around, and, and, and said before that lizard knew what it had done, that lizard got into that spider web. And said, Bobby said, I sat there and looked and he said, I watched that spider get closer and closer. And he said, I knew what was fixing to happen to that poor lizard. And he said, so I did the same thing any good red-blooded American boy would do. He said, I went over there and took the heel of my shoe and I crushed that spider. And he said, I went in the house and told my wife, said, bring me a mason jar. And he said, I got me a mason jar. Does anybody here remember what a mason jar is? I know the kids aren't in here. I know y'all know what it is. And said, he took that mason jar and he said, I scooped up that lizard. And he said, I went and set that down beside my Bible. And my wife said, Bobby, what are you doing? He said, I'll show you later. He said, I went that night and he said, I preached and I preached hard. And he said, I preached the gospel. He said, I preached it just like it was. And he said, then when I got down and funneled down to the finish, he said, I told my church, he said, y'all get up and follow me. And he said, he took them out in front of the church and he told them what had happened that day, sitting on his porch with that spider and that lizard. And he said, I want to tell y'all something. He said, every one of you that's born again said you was caught in the web of sin. He said, you struggled, you couldn't get 
get out. He said, the Satan, the serpent, and death was poised to take you. And he said, listen, and he said, Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven, took his heel, and crushed that serpent's head. And he said, that is why tonight, he said, I want y'all to get this. He said, if you're born again, he said, if you washed in the blood, if you've accepted Jesus Christ, and he said, I took that mason jar, and he said, I said, watch this, boys. And he said, I let it go and said, that lizard took out across the hills of North Carolina and said, my people went to running through the woods, a hollering and a shouting. And he said, till this day, there's a lizard in North Carolina running in mountains hollering, thank God for Bobby Grubbs. <laughs> now I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever been born again, if you've ever met Jesus Christ, I don't know why we're not running all over this world going, thank God for Jesus, the gospel, the power of the gospel, he died for us. Now listen, in Isaiah 118, come now. Now that, that's a, a, an urgent call. I remember when I was a kid, uh, it was our house, it was the McClanahan's, and it was the baseball field. And I remember my mom calling me. If she called Terry, there wasn't nothing to it. I didn't come. If she said Terry Hopkins... I usually didn't go. But if she ever came out there and said, Joseph Terrell Hopkins, I was headed to the house. And let me tell you, when God calls your name, I'm telling you right now, you'll hear, you say, well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard the voice of God. Trust me, you haven't. Not only is it an urgent call, but listen to this, it is a gracious call. You know what? If Jesus... Instead of in Isaiah, in Isaiah being able to say, come and come now. If Jesus had done what he was justified to do, and he, if he had done what we deserved, he wouldn't have said, come. He would have said, go. No. The answer is no. You don't deserve it, and I'm not going to do it. But Jesus Christ loved us so much. He said, yes. And he said, come. And today, he's still saying, uh, come. But there's going to come a day. Listen, there's going to come a day when there's not a call. There will not be another call. The call will be over. The call will be done. You'll stand before Jesus at the great white throne. And God bless you. If you're without Christ, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I want to look at some of the gracious calls of Jesus. He came to Zacchaeus. Can you imagine little Zacchaeus up that tree? But Jesus came to Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down. He went to Matthew and he said, come follow me. Matthew left his table and followed him. He came to Peter, Andrew, and, and, and they were fishing. And Jesus said, come follow me. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. Now, as you read the accounts of Jesus calling the disciples to follow him, they dropped their nets, they left their jobs, and they followed Jesus. Now, if you don't get anything else tonight in this next few minutes, you might want to write this down in your Bible. I did. Obedience. Obedience. What these men did at the calling of Jesus Christ. Obedience is the spark that lights the fire of passion. Obeying God. You say, I want a passion for the lost. I want a passion for God. Then be obedient to the word of God. And God will light a fire in you that Satan himself cannot put out. Now, Betty and I uh, were saved July the 18th, 1982. Betty was saved that morning at church. And I was saved that night at 11 p.m. at home. I mean, God came into my heart. God came into my life. God saved me. God changed me. I mean, the next day, I couldn't even drink a beer. I tried. I couldn't even do it. I ordered a pitcher of beer, John, at lunch and set it on the table. And Betty said, what are you doing? We just got saved. I said, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm eating pizza. You drink beer with pizza. And, and, and the lady brought that pitcher of beer. She might as well have bought a rattlesnake. And we kind of stared each other down for a little bit. And finally, the waitress came by. And I said, ma'am, I said, could you help me out? She said, sure. And I said, could you, could you take that? I'll pay for it. But I said, 
I don't want that on my table. She said, is there something wrong with it? And I said, no, ma'am. I said, I got saved last night. And I said, I don't think I can do this anymore. Man, she took that thing and she was gone. But I'm telling you, when God saves you, God changes you. That was in July of 1982. Betty and I started reading the Bible together, started praying together, started visiting together. We joined the choir. We joined the bus ministry. Everything that they said, if they needed somebody, I said, I'll do it because the night I got saved, Betty and I were laying there. Betty had went to sleep that Sunday night and I, the tears were running down into my ears. And I said, and I said, Lord, I love you. I mean, I've just met you and I, I've never felt anything like this. And I've always done the wrong thing and I've always made the wrong mistake. But tonight I made the right one. And this is what I said. I said, Lord, if you ever need anything, give me a call. I mean, anything. I did not have a clue what I was saying. That was in July of 1982. In September, Betty and I were sitting at 5161 Rosestone Drive. Remember, Betty? Sitting there at the little dining room table in our house reading the Bible together. I want to read to you what we were reading aloud. I was reading to her and I read, How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? And is it written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. We talked about this in staff meeting a few weeks ago. God so manifested himself in that little dining room. And I looked at Betty and the tears started running down my face. And Betty said, what's going on? And I said, Betty, God just called me to preach. She said, what? I said, God just called me to preach. And she said, just now? And I said, yeah, just when I was reading that, how beautiful are the feet? She said, you think the Lord's ever seen your feet? <laughs> and I do, I got the ugliest feet, John. I got these old hammer toes on my feet. And, and, and listen, and, and if you looked at me tonight, I promise you, you'd have to grade them ugly because they are ugly. But to Jesus, they were beautiful and it was something that he wanted and it was something that he wanted to use. And, and, and I said, yes. I said, Betty, that's it. I said, I, I'm a preacher. I mean, <laughs> that was it. I didn't need a committee. I didn't need somebody to tell me it was okay. I knew that Jesus Christ had called me to preach. Now I preached my first message in a church on December the 5th, 1982. And, and I can still tell you what I preached. Uh, Betty, I preached, God gave me a Bible. I preached on God gave me a burden for the lost. And then I preached on God gave me his best, his son. I preached for about 14 minutes. I preached it twice. <laughs> Amen. But it was just burning inside of me. I just absolutely, I knew God saved me. I knew God uh, caused me. So, so, so this comes quite well, what makes your feet beautiful? The only thing can make your feet beautiful is following Jesus. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come by a house that all this sin, Brother David, all this filth, all this life living away from God and would come down there and say, Betty and I, and would come by and say, Terry, will you follow me? And I'll tell you, that was 25 years ago. And my answer was yes. And I want to tell you what my answer is today. Brother John, it's still yes. Brother Larry, it's still yes. God used this same scripture to call Brother Larry. Now his feet aren't as ugly as mine in the natural, but I guarantee you one thing, in God's sight, his feet are beautiful because he followed Jesus. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, can you imagine what was going through the mind of Jesus? He knew he was washing the feet of martyrs. He knew that he was washing the feet of men that had followed him by sight, but were going to continue to follow him by faith and was going to follow him to death. I cannot imagine how proud and what he felt in his heart. And those disciples, well, they didn't have a clue. Following Jesus 
is the perfect will of God. You say, I want to be in the perfect will of God. Well, then follow Jesus. You have to follow Jesus. And listen, Satan's going to throw everything at you he's got. He's going to throw. The last time I preached in this pulpit, I preached on telling on the devil. And I thought I was going to poke him in the eye. Don't ever do that. I'm telling you right now, unless the Lord tells you to do it, you better leave the devil alone and you better send Jesus. Now, we were over in the, uh, Israel in 1996, and Miss Joanne, you were with us. Dr. Merritt was with us, Teresa, and a lot of our church members, and Betty and I got to go over there. And we went to the Gaza Strip, and I saw all these signs that talking about landmines and and all this danger, danger, danger. And you could see Israel on one side, Palestine. You could see men with machine guns. Looked like little teenage kids with machine guns. And I had dislocated both knees about two weeks before. I dislocated them, fell down the four-year steps from the top to the bottom. And, did, and I laid at the bottom of those steps. And I said, devil, this ain't going to work. I'm going to Israel. And I did. And let me tell you, we got there to the Gaza Strip and everybody got off the bus. And I told Betty, I said, I'll just sit here and wait. Well, Dr. Merritt came and he said, come on, man, let's go. I said, man, I ain't going nowhere. He said, what do you mean you ain't going nowhere? It's where we get out. I said, I ain't getting out. He said, well, of course you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, what are you talking about? He said, well, your knees bothering you that bad? I said, nope. He said, well, why aren't you going to get out? I said, man, you didn't see those signs. I said, they said landmines. He said, son, you ain't, get out of the bus. And I said, I ain't getting out of the bus. He said, son, what is it going to take me to get you out of this bus? I said, I'll tell you what you do, Dr. Merritt. I'll tell you what I'll do. If you go find the guy that buried every one of those landmines, I'll get out and I'll follow that dude anywhere. And he said, are you listening to what you just said? I said, yeah, and I'm in it. I ain't getting off this bus. He said, no, don't you hear what you just said? I said, yeah, I heard. He said, no, you don't. He said, Terry, listen. He said, Satan has planted landmines all through your life, all through your walk. He said, but if you're following Jesus, he said, son, you're not going to step on any landmines. And I said, praise God, I think I'll get off the bus <laughs> and follow Jesus. Listen, when I sat there at that table in 1982, I did not have a clue what to do except follow Jesus. I fell so in love with him. Nobody had ever loved me like Jesus loved me. Nobody had ever forgiven me like Jesus forgave me. Nobody had ever treated me like Jesus treated me. And I want to do something. I know the Holy Spirit's telling me to do it, and I'm going to do it. Gary Benning, I love you in the Lord, brother, and I thank God for you. I consider you a very good friend. Now take that devil. Now go on. I never dreamed. I never, ever dreamed that I could do something for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that I've been asked by him personally. Terry, would you go? And I said, yeah, sure, of course. So I went where I need to go. And listen, I read this Bible through a dozen times. I mean, a dozen times. I'd mark it in the back. Every time I'd get through, I'd, I'd mark me a line. Then I'd start over again. I'd mark me another line. And I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. And when I'd find something new in it, man, listen, didn't nobody have to beg me to tithe? I said, yeah. And, and, and Betty will tell you, we were so broke. When we got saved the last six months, I had spent $3,000 just in checks at the Lilburn Bottle Shop. Just in six months. And when we tithed, I wouldn't tithe with a check. I tithed in cash because I was afraid the check would bounce and we'd be so embarrassed. And I want to tell you something. <laughs> when we started tithing, I, I said, Betty, there's something wrong here. I said, I mean, the checkbook didn't nothing bounce. Everything was paid for. Everything was on time. Everything. I sold my house, made like $40,000 on the house. And, and, and it was on the last day and it was a rainstorm and we was going to take it off the market. And the lady came and bought it. Guy had fired me when I first got saved. He said, I don't need you. I don't need a preacher on my payroll. I'd been there 11 years. I ran the place. He said, I don't want a preacher on my payroll. You're fired. He called me about six months later and he said, hey Terry, 
Yeah, he said, you still love Jesus? I said, yes, sir. I still love Jesus. He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, you probably were drunk, don't remember it. He said, but brother, he said, you know, we put some money back for you for retirement and we got your check here. And I said, oh, and he said, uh, yeah. And he said, it's $30,000. I said, what in the world? I said, yeah, I'll come get it. Then I got a call from Betty one day and she said, Terry, remember when Mr. Turley asked us to invest that money? And I said, uh, yeah. Uh, it was $2,500. She said, yeah. And I said, and I told you not to do it. And her being a submissive wife <laughs> that she is, she invested that $2,500 when I said no. Well, she called me one day at work and she said, are you sitting down? I said, no. She said, I need to tell you something. She said, Mr. Turley is selling his part. He was the old Yankee pitcher for the New York Yankees. Said, Bob Turley, Mr. Turley said, he's going to sell his stock and we've got to go down. Uh, where was it, Betty? Some, uh, anyway, it was downtown Atlanta and we need to pick up our share. I said, okay. I said, how much we lose? She said, we didn't lose nothing. She said, Terry, they got a check down there for us for $100,000. I said, you, you, you hold on. I said, what? I went in another room where I picked up the phone. I said, Betty? She said, what? I said, are you lying? And she said, no, I ain't lying. I, I said, now where do we have to go? And she told me, and I said, when? She said, we can go now. I said, I'm on the way. I went and got her. We went to the building and Betty said, I pulled up to the door and she said, well, park. And I said, I ain't parking. She said, you ain't getting out. And I said, Betty, there ain't no way in the world this is legal. You go get the money and I'll stay here in the car. <laughs> she went in there and they gave her a check for $100,000. And we took it to the bank and the cashier said, well, what do you want to do with this, Mr. Hopkins? I said, cash it. Betty said, pap. I said, no, uh, 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 I want to deposit it. Let's, let's deposit it. I'm going to tell you something. I have never done anything with God where he did not just bless. I don't tell people to tithe because, well, you just got to have the money. Ain't got to have the money. You just got to be obedient. Obedience. That's what the spark is that writes the passion that puts the love in your heart for God and all that he's doing didn't have a clue these old hammer toe feet uh, were going to travel where they traveled and go where they went and got to do what they got to do for the Lord Jesus. All this and I, I got called to a church, Crossroads, didn't have a bus. Lord Ferguson wrote out a check that wasn't good on a Saturday to buy a bus with. <laughs> and we bought it and I sanded it and we painted it. And we sent that bus and started picking up children. Before Sunday night, we had more than enough money to pay for that bus and to buy another bus. Now you say, Brother Terry, so you get saved and everything's lovely. Oh no. Oh no, in the last 25 years, I've gone through the deepest valleys. I've had some of the greatest trials. I've had Satan attack me, my family, my friends, my ministry. But I'll tell you one thing, God, has been there every step and rescued me time after time. I never dreamed we'd go to the Ukraine and preach, build a church, or Romania. Now, wait a minute. God, you probably know to go get somebody that's got a lot of education. Listen, Johnny Hunt and I, Johnny Hunt tells everybody, and I tell Johnny Hunt, I've got one on him. He had to take his GED twice to pass it. I passed on the first time. <laughs> but I never dreamed. I never, ever dreamed. Romania, the Ukraine. Went to India, and I met a man named Dr. M.A. Thomas. And he had beautiful feet. He got saved. And Dr. Thomas said all he knew was that he absolutely, absolutely had to tell all of India so he started on a trek to tell, to go to Kota. He felt like he needed to go to North India and he was in South India. And he started in every village he stopped in, he would preach and he would win so many people to the Lord that they'd plant a church. 
Well, he'd plant a church and he'd be there and, 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 and a lot longer than he wanted to be and he would leave there, start again, and he would uh, preach again and have to plant a church. And after a few years of this, Bill Bright, who's gone to be with the Lord now, Bill Bright heard about his plight across India. And Bill Bright went and found Dr. M.A. Thomas and he said, Dr. Thomas, I've heard about you. What can I do for you? Dr. Thomas said, train Fair Dakota would be nice. And they got him trained Fair Dakota and they got him in Coda. Dr. Thomas preached in Coda. The first time he preached, they put him in jail for preaching. He stayed in jail for a couple of weeks and he won most of the uh, prisoners that were in there. And it's like the Apostle Paul, they kicked him out of jail. Well, I want you to know Samuel was here several months ago. Do you remember Samuel Thomas, Dr. M.A.'s son? He has beautiful feet. Listen, they planted over 6,000 churches. They have over 6,000 orphans. I don't know how many orphanages. I've been to India three times and I've been with Dr. Thomas. Dr. Thomas is one of the godliest most humble men I have ever met anywhere at any time in my life. And we went over and we became immediate friends. We talked and, and, and believe it or not, he knew I had beautiful feet. And he says, Terry, come with me. I said, where are we going, Dr. Thomas? He said, uh, we're going to preach. And I said, okay. And he got on the back of a scooter because his, his knees are so bad. And I walked beside the scooter and we went slowly down to a leper colony. And he said, Terry, and he told me all about the lepers and he said, I want you to preach. And he said, I'm going to interpret. And one of the young men there said, man, that's big. He said, Dr. Thomas, he don't just interpret for anybody. He can preach. And I, I said, praise God. So I, I preached, he interpreted. Those little lepers, some of them with no hands were clapping. Those little nubs. And some of them with no feet, some of them no arms, some of them young, some of them old. And we preached and some of them got saved. And that night we went back to dinner and we were sitting there and I said, Dr. Thomas, that was fantastic. I said, man, that was just, that was unbelievable. And those people, they, they, nobody touches them. Well, we touched them. And we hugged them and we loved on them. And listen, the, the little tears would run. And listen, the little dust, the little dust from India on their face. And those little tears would plow through that dust. And that night at dinner, I said, Dr. Thomas, I said, I think God's calling me to India. He said, no, God's not calling you to India. I said, Dr. Thomas, yeah, I just don't think I've ever experienced it like this. And this is what he told me 10 years ago. He said, you go home. He said, America's blind. America cannot see. He said, the youth, the culture that's coming up. He said, Satan's already captured. And he said, Terry, at some point in the United States of America, because of AIDS and because of divorce and because he said, there's going to have to be orphanages in the United States of America. You prepare yourself to go home and do what we're doing here in India. And church, guess what? I think Dr. Thomas is a prophet. And I think Dr. Thomas knew a lot of what he was talking about. And as we went on in the conversation, I said, Dr. Thomas, today at that leper colony, I said, you need to tell me something. He says, what? I said, Dr. Thomas, when I was preaching and you were interpreting, I said, were you telling them what I said? He said, no, boy, I preached. <laughs> we went to Africa. I can remember standing out in the field in Kenya Seeing this little lady, about five feet two, with a dress down to the ground, and a big hat on her head, and a staff in her hand, and a Bible in the other, and she looked like Granny on the clampets, and had two big black Kenyan men with her, and disappeared off into the jungle. And I thought, I'm responsible for her. Should I allow that? Should I do that? 
shouldn't I? And it's like the Holy Spirit said, I'll take care of her. She's got beautiful feet. And guys, a little five foot two lady sitting in the middle section, about two thirds back, that sat here and played this piano for years and said, God, here am I. Send me. Sold everything that she had, packed her bag, and built a home in Kenya. And then she partnered with my son, Henry Martin. He's full-blooded Kenyan. And he's black. And he has beautiful feet. There are 15 churches today, church, that you're responsible for. Because one person said, here am I, send me, I'll go. Judy, no reserve, no regrets, no retreat. What would happen tonight if God called out and said, I am calling you for what? To be obedient to me, to be willing to drop your nets, quit your job, and go where I tell you to go. You're being preached to tonight by an old hippie, an old drunk that said yes to Jesus and that has followed him all over this world. And you've supported me to do that. And I guess it's time to say thank you. It's not only an urgent call. It's a gracious call. If you were here this morning and heard the message on forgiveness. But what a great forgiveness. He said, though your sins be as scarlet, he said, they'll be white as snow. I I grew up in a drunkard's home, so I knew how to do it. And I started doing it real quick. My daddy was the meanest man I guess I ever met on planet Earth. You've never seen anything or witnessed anything until you've seen your mother standing there with a bloody nose and swollen lips and black eyes because your daddy was drunk. Some of you may know. I'm sure crowd this size, some of you do. But you cannot imagine the hate that I had for him. I hated him. And I had a right, I thought, to hate him. And when I was 15 years old, I was big enough and tough enough and had been beat enough and had solved. And I hid him in his nose and he literally crumbled down the wall. And I never will forget my mama grabbing me. I'll never forget the look on her face. She said, you are not going to be like him. Don't you ever touch your daddy again. And I left. And that's what started a whole life of sin, hurt. There are people in hell tonight because I had an influence on them. I had the wrong influence on them. I introduced them to drugs and I introduced them to alcohol. And now I don't get to go back and give them a chance. Kelly Gessendainer. I don't know if you remember several years ago, murdered her husband. We've gone in the prison for years. She lived long enough. She is on death row tonight at Metro in Atlanta. She's going to die. She has exhausted all of her appeals. 
She's got cancer and they're hoping that she's going to die of cancer before they have to put her to death. I spent a year with Kelly Gessendainer. I spent half the night with her, the night they found her guilty. And they put her in suicide watch and I had to sit and watch her to make sure that she didn't kill herself. I was there when she accepted Christ. I was there when it finally dawned on her how terrible that husband who had been murdered by her and her boyfriend would never have the opportunity to hear the gospel or be born again. But what if we'd reached Kelly Gessendainer before all that happened? She wouldn't be sitting on death row and there wouldn't be children without a mama and without a daddy. When I got saved, I called my dad and I called him and I called him and he cussed me and he hung up and I've told this a thousand times, but I'll never get tired of telling it. And Betty talked my daddy into coming to see us get baptized. And you know what? When God saved me, I didn't hate him anymore. I loved him. I knew what his problem was. It wasn't alcohol. His problem was he didn't know Jesus. And my daddy came to see us get baptized and came back that night. And my daddy accepted Jesus Christ. Same prayer, same God, same after effect. He lived 15 years after that night, August the 1st, 1982. He never had another drink of liquor. He never said an unkind word to my mother. He asked for forgiveness from my mom, from me, my sisters. And I want to tell you something. He was my best friend on planet earth. For the next 15 years, we prayed together. We read this book together. We'd find a little nugget in it and call each other. And I'd say, Daddy, listen to this. Or he'd call me and say, Son, listen to this. But the second day, he was saved on a Sunday night, August the 1st, 1982. On Tuesday morning, he'd call me and said, Son, he said, I tried to take the last little drink of, uh, of liquor that I had. And he said, I poured it in a glass and I mixed it up. And he said, Something told me to pour it out. And I poured it out. And he said, I don't know how I can say this. I just know I will never take another drink. And for 15 years, he never took another drink. For 15 years, my daddy was a soul winner. For the last 15 days of his life, he laid down in a hospital in Grange, legally blind, eating up with diabetes. And people would come in his room and he'd say, who's there? And they'd tell him, he'd say, have I met you? And they'd say, either yes or no. And if they said no, he said, you got a moment? And he said, if you die tonight, do you know you'd go to heaven? Do you know? Right up to the very last day. I owe Jesus an awful lot. And so do you. We were bought with a price. And Satan has us looking at everything and everybody except him. He's the only answer we got. What do we do? We follow him. To what? Till he does whatever he wants to do. Obedience is that spark that lights the fire of passion. You say, I want a passion for Jesus. Obey him. I want to live for Jesus. I want to have beautiful feet. Then follow Jesus. 1 John 1, 7 says, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. A call. I don't know what God's calling you to do. Only you and God know that. But in a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to be obedient, to ask God to spark that in you with a light of fire of passion for him. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. But if you'd say, Brother Terry, I've sat here tonight and God's given me a call, but it's not, 
It's not a call to service. It's a call for salvation. Brother Terry, I'm not saved. Brother Terry, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to come to you. Nobody else is. But if you're in this service and God's calling you to salvation, please, I ask you while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you just raise your hand? Would you just acknowledge to God? Would you just raise your hand and say, God, that's me. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I don't know what you're talking about, Brother Terry. At the darkest of days, I was lost without hope. Just an old sinner thief at the end of my rope. In my mind was a scripture many times I had scorned. While down the road they led Jesus, they claimed virgin born. That day I met Jesus hanging there on a tree. I heard as he spoke and he beckoned to me. I left a lifetime of misery hanging there, don't you see? That day I met Jesus, that day he saved me. There was nothing to do that would alter my past. That's when I knew that this day was my last. They nailed this man Jesus on a cross next to me. There I opened my heart, new life to receive. That day I met Jesus hanging there on a tree. I heard as he spoke and he beckoned to me. I left a lifetime of misery hanging there, don't you see? That day I met Jesus, that day That day I met Jesus, that day He saved me. Well, drivers, we sure appreciate you letting us ride along with you in the cab. But we don't want to leave you until you know that you know that you know if you died today, if you'd go to heaven or not. We want to make sure that you're saved and on your way to heaven. And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, it's a simple little prayer. Or maybe you did when you was young and you haven't lived for God. Now's the time to make a U-turn and come back. God allows U-turns. All you have to do is pray from your heart and ask Him to come into your life. Just pray a simple little prayer like, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I surrender my life to you. Come into my heart, and I will live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Driver, if you prayed that prayer with me, give us a call here at Lonesome Road Ministries at 618-383-2107. We'd love to hear from you. We want to walk this walk with you. If you don't want to call us, call somebody and let them know that you fell in love with Jesus. It could happen any moment, any season, any time. Might be around the corner. Just written on a sign A picture of Jesus Was all that I could see That day my eyes were open And Jesus came to me When Jesus looked inside my mind I was 
was ashamed of what he'd find So I begged, oh Lord, forgive me Then I confessed my sin And this is how it happened How I was born again No longer blind to darkness Now I can clearly see Since the day my eyes were opened And Jesus came to me Sunday, the sky above was blue, driving down that lonesome highway, I was talking, Lord, to you, mile after mile, you were all that I could see, that day my eyes were open, and Jesus came to me, when Jesus looked inside my mind, I was ashamed at what he'd find, so I begged, oh me. Then I confess my sin, and this is how it happened, how I was born again. No longer blind in darkness, now I can clearly see, since today my eyes were open, and Jesus came to me. Since today my eyes were open, and Jesus came to me. Drivers, my friend, Gary Rayburn, has a song and testimony called At the Foot of the Tree that Dennis McKay uh, recorded for Gary and did an awesome job. And just like Gary Rayburn, if you said that prayer, then you've got a testimony. So let's go to the foot of the tree. Without hope, 18 wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read, his words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. I called his name This chance would it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Brokenhearted and lonesome, so long I've been lost. I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree. Those eighteen wheels are rolling. That old lonesome road And I shared the good news Wherever I go Yes, there's been a change I'm not the man I used to be And I tell everybody What's happened to me How I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past but I called his name This chance Could it be my last Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree And I lifted up my heart From down on my knees Today I met Jesus At the foot of the cross Brokenhearted and lonesome So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus Hanging on that tree 
Foot of the tree. 